what's up out there podcast world you're now listening to patina cobras and stay with me i'm your host dennis today we have two visitors <laughs> our guest is going to be foxy pontiac known on instagram and as we were doing this podcast santa was dropping by to pay a visit <laughs> you'll hear about that here in just a little bit we're going to be getting into some more talk on the ls and a little bit more of what it takes to install an LS in your vehicle. He's gonna give us uh, just his play-by-play -play and his how-to on how he goes about installing one of those in his vehicle. I know that the LS, it has been around for a while and people are still, that's almost the go-to engine when they're building something and swapping them in. It's something that's interesting, something I haven't taken part of, I'm still, partial to the conventional, but I'm not opposed to having an LS in one of the vehicles. And then future vehicles, I got quite a few here left to build. So one of them might end up with the OLS in it. We'll just have to see how that goes. But I do like uh, gathering information and hearing what other people have to say, listening to their pros and cons and what they had to go through while getting this power plant in their vehicle. And it's pretty interesting. There's a lot to it, though. There's a lot to it. And, and information is the key to everything. So without further ado, we're going to hop into this podcast. I'm Eric. Uh, I go by uh, the Foxy Pontiac on um, on Instagram. It's uh, kind of a weird, uh, weird pseudonym at this point. Uh, doesn't really match it, it. Just rolling with it. Uh, I am in uh, the Northeast. I'm just outside of New York City now in, uh, in uh, Northeast Jersey in Bergen County. I uh, was in Queens for the previous seven or eight years and up in Buffalo before that. Um, yeah, uh, I am a technician by trade, uh, network technician by trade, and a jack-of-all-trades, master of none of everything else. So, um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I am here to regale you with stories of misadventure and mishap. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the lessons learned forthwith. So what? what's the biggest... So now, you're, and you're going to be telling this to somebody, myself, that has no clue on where to start and where to end with an LS swap. So... You know, well, um, the masses with I guess your knowledge. First you need is something to put it in. You know, right. <laughs> um, you know, are you swapping because you know you blew your truck up? <laughs> you blew your engine out of your truck. You need something new, or do you have an old chassis that you want to put a, a different engine in? Which maybe LS isn't that different these days. It's pretty synonymous, but um, yeah, it's there's some chassis out there that they just fall into. Any GM product that came with a small block Chevy or shared a small block Chevy chassis, so the A bodies, F bodies, X bodies, LSs will more or less fall into them with very little clearance issues. Um, yeah, so let's just assume you have something that you want to, you know, you're putting an LS in because you either want more power or you want more modern reliability. And by modern, I'm still using that in quotes because the LS has been around for over 20 years now. So, right. <laughs> you know, like, Bert, like the 1997 uh, uh, Corvette that the first LS1 came in, I think qualifies as a antique vehicle now. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, although they're still making a version of it now, they're going to be phased out shortly too. But uh, a modern er engine design. Uh, what would you need first? Well, you, you, well, like I said, you need a chassis that'll fit it. Some cars just won't take them. Um, uh, first gen Mustangs, they'll take them, but you got to chop those cars up. You got to cut out the shock towers. You got to, you know, you're, you're getting into surgery, but if something you just want to bolt it in, you know, anything from 65 onwards, honestly, try fives will take them too. Uh, you know, cause they came with a small block Chevy. Right. And, uh, there's a bit of a formula that I follow when I do these things. Is uh, um, So you, you, you get your donor engine, whatever it is, from whatever it is. It doesn't really matter all that much. 
there's Gen 3 engines and Gen 4 engines. There's a lot of interchangeability, and there's some things that just don't interchange. And you always find out the hard way uh, <laughs> which, which parts do or don't. Um, I have a bit of a matrix for that, uh, notes and stuff for it around. Uh, but let's just say you grab a 5.3 LM7 from a 2001 Suburban or whatever sitting around in a junkyard. Um, so after you have your donor at that point, you got to start with engine mounts. Um, you know, you got to get it mounted into whatever that you cleared out for an engine bay. Uh, and I'm going to assume you pulled an automatic transmission with the car with the engine as well. that came out of a truck or a van. Just go with that assumption. That's the, like the most stereotypical kind of swap. Yep. Um, I always start with engine mounts because you got to get it to fit in. So, um, there's a lot of options these days off the shelf. Um, I tend to use small block Chevy frame mounts um, because where Chevy put these engines originally, the LS is only an inch wider and an inch taller than a small block Chevy with heads on um, and a basic intake. So it's going to fit just about any frame space that way. They do fit in Fox bodies. They just fall right in again without any modification. SM95s take them. But any any B-body uh, in any line, Ford, Mopar, or uh, Chevy, they'll just, they, there's so much space in those cars, they'll go in. Um, plenty of companies now that are making these things. You can get the cheap aluminum ones from eBay, which are adjustable, and they're 20 bucks. Um, you'll get both halves. Uh, you can upstep it to uh, dirty dingo mounts, which are, or holly mounts, which are kind of, you know, the top of the market, but um, they'll fit. You know, I, my current setup on Foxy here that I'm sitting next to, I have small block Chevy frame mounts um, bolted to the Pontiac cross member. And then I got Jags adapter mounts for 20 bucks. They're not even adjustable. They're just solid cut steel. And they were the cheapest I could find at that point because that was sort of my guiding light. It's like, okay, what works and what's cheapest? Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, you can, you know, the engine gets mounted in. Uh, you got to think of a cross member as well. I find a 1966-67 Chevelle uh, cross member works for just about everything. Um, if you don't mind poking holes in frames, it'll fit just about anything. Um, G bodies get a little bit weird with them, so there's specialty LS cross members for that. But you can go, you can go up, you can get five, six hundred dollar cross members that are all, you know, trussed in and boxed and. The whole works. It, you know, it depends how much you want to spend on this. Um, I tend to go the low buck way, and because if you can handle a low buck build, you know, if you can handle a high end build, you can also do a low buck build. So I just stay at the low buck one because that's what everyone can do. Right. Um, after you got your mounts in with the uh, mounted to the engine and the engine stuffed in the chassis, uh, you got to figure out your headers. Um, because that's the one that now you're getting into, you know, a little bit of custom. There's a lot of companies out there that make pre-made drop-in headers for just about, there's 10 main chassis that get used these days, and there's manufacturers for all those. I use Speed Engineering, the F-body headers, they also fit here. I had to dent one pipe a quarter inch to clear um, the uh, a control arm mount. Um, and I probably wouldn't have if I mounted my engine a little bit forward, but like I said, I use stock small block Chevy mounts, so it mounted exactly where a small block Chevy would have gone in this car or a Malibu or Chevelle from the day. Right. Um, yeah, so after you got your headers in and cleared the firewall and you know your, your steering column and all the rest of that stuff, um, the next thing is you kind of have to figure out your accessory brackets on the front, and this is where you're getting into families of GM stuff um, there are three families of accessory brackets you have your truck family your um, your F body your Camaro accessory brackets and that's F body and GTO uh, they also came the modern GTO came with that family brackets and then you have Corvette CTSV G8 family so we call that the Corvette family of brackets and how they mount um, typically you're going to get Holly comes up with a really nice package. Holly does everything really nice. Just we all know that, but they came up with a really, really nice tight mounting, um, kit 
that fits everything really close and flush to the block. It doesn't have any clearance problems with frame horns or anything else. Um, that alarm in the background is uh, Santa Claus <laughs> coming by <laughs> with the uh, local PD escorting him. Um, that's timing for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so your, your mounting brackets, the Holly kits are exceptional. They're really great. They look great. They are dear. Um, I think I bought my entire drive line out of a G8, which was all aluminum, six-speed, the whole works for 2700 bucks, which is a really good price. The Holly accessory mounts that go on the front for the compact mount are like 3500 bucks. So it literally right. paying more for brackets than you do for most engine builds. But, you know, people have different priorities. You right. know, if, if you're in a really tight package, like you're trying to shoehorn an, an LS into a Miata or an LS into a, like an old MG or something, you're probably going to want to use the really compact mounts just for real estate. Or if having a show car and you pop the hood and you want it to be as pretty as possible or look as old school as possible, the small, the tight brackets that hide the equipment down low is is, is, is an option for you. Um, I tend to use the Corvette bracketry um, because in the uh, C5 family, the first gen of them, uh, they have a, a high and wide setup. So put your alternator and power steering pump flying off to the, let me see, which am I facing? The left side of the engine and your AC and whatever flying high and off to the right side of the engine. So it kind of forms a V and the V shape of the engine fits nicely in the older chassis because the older chassis engine bays were all V shaped with the, with the um, inner wheel wells and all the other equipment that's in there. Right. Where like a modern car, the engine bay is very square. Yes. So, you know, you got, it's just one of those factors. But yeah, you got to figure out your bracketry and where you want to go with it and what fits best. The truck stuff tends to be cheapest. Um, a alternator for a Corvette. Oh, <laughs> the alternators don't fit between the families. So if you have a Corvette bracketry, you're going to need a Corvette alternator. And a truck alternator is 80 bucks. The same alternator. It's exactly the same for the Corvette. They just move the ears about 20 degrees further apart on the mounts, mm. and they're 300 to $400. So, really? Um, there are companies out there like ICT Billet. Uh, they, create, they, they use Corvette bracketry with the truck mounting because those guys are cool, and they're smart, and they realize <laughs> people are getting hosed yeah. <laughs> by Corvette. Uh, alternators because just for the ears um, Matt Happel told me uh, from Sloppy Mechanics he will run a truck alternator in the Corvette bracketry with only a single bolt letting the uh, the serpent belt hold the uh, alternator in place <laughs> kind of levering off the one bolt holding the alternator in because he didn't want to get a Corvette alternator <laughs> right <laughs> which hey Sloppy Mechanics you know right, right there but uh, at the same time, it's like, wow, you know, it's, you get a really good choppy cam or something, and you get some whiplash going in that belt, or you let on or let off, and you're whipping that belt, your alternator's flopping up and down with it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's an option, you know, especially if you blow, blow and your alternator dies in the middle of nowhere, and you only got an O'Reilly's nearby that only has a truck alternator for your Corvette. You can make it work. You know? Right. Um,. After, yeah, after you get your bracketry in, and now, because still you're dealing with a lot of the, the hardware side of things, like how are things fitting? Um, I always get the physical stuff done first, because you can always run the electrical stuff however you have to. But, um, and then you kind of get it, there's right on the end of the bracketry is sort of intakes, because trying to run a car intake with the truck water pump can get tricky, because the truck water pump has this high neck that kind of comes up and does the swan dive off the front where um, the car water pumps tend to just have the, the necks down and low. So when you drop a truck intake on a truck with a truck water pump, they're both also, they're both nice and high and the, the intake tube and the water and the, the water neck don't interfere with each other. We found out with um, fugitives build um, 
we used the truck uh, truck water pump and used an LS6 intake, and the two of them fought with each other. So we had to use some spacers on the intake and the throttle body and get really creative with the hose routing. and <laughs> So just silly little things like that. When we were done with that build, we were scratching our heads, looking at the end, going, okay, next time we're just going to spend 120 bucks and get a car water pump and not do all this other right, stuff. Right, right. But, um, yeah, so there's all those little real estate things, but it's still, like like I said, you're getting into generations and the families. Um, you got your three families and you got your two generations. Oh, jeez. Santa's, was he making laps? Yeah, he's going up and down every block. He'd be doing good if he was dropping off that fucking Corvette alternator, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know if I've been that good. I may, I may have been good enough for a truck alternator this year. <laughs> a little naughty. Um, and then after, uh, yeah, okay, so, you know, you have your engine in, bolted to the car. You have your brackets all mounted on the front and everything's fitting. Uh, typically, you can run just about any radiator. Um, you know, it's they're pretty, they're pretty forgiving for temperatures. Um LSs like to run hot. They like to be in the 190, 200 range. Um, a lot of old school guys, like, they think all engines should be like a 160, between 180 and 160, and that's it. It's like, no, it, LSs are just getting into the zone at 180. Right. And by 190, 200, I run mine at 199. And it's 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 happy. Um, and, well, I've also run it at 270 a couple of times. So. <laughs> And it's still going. But uh, no, LSs are very heat resistant. So radiators, really whatever fits works for you. Like the the cheap stuff, like the Ford Taurus radiator and shroud, it's like 100 bucks for both. And they work great. You just got to be able to get them to fit. So whatever fits your space and works best. Um, I recently changed mine on Foxy. I found out that the CTS 2014 CTSV radiator is the exact same fit width as a stock Pontiac radiator, but it fit deeper into the core support because it's only an inch thick. Mm-hmm. And it had the internal uh, 6L80 trans cooler built in, and it was really cheap to convert everything over. So I got this, I used to have a four-core aluminum rad that never kept up, and the fan issue and shrouding and everything else. This is all in one. So you just got to have, you know, you got to have a radiator. But really, whatever fits will work for the LS 99% of the time. A lot of places will try to sell you an LS radiator. The only thing different with an LS radiator to a non-LS radiator in the aftermarket world is a spigot on the um, on the rad itself for the steam line to go into. And I tap my water pump and route my steam line back into the water pump. And other people will put a T-mount in the middle of their return hose with a little spigot and run it that way. So, you know, tanks or, you know, cold case or, well, I don't know, any of these places who make wonderful rads. They are really nice rads. I'm not disparaging them. It's just their four or $500 radiators. Right, <laughs> where my, uh, my CTSV radiator was 100 bucks from Rock Auto. So, <laughs> and it works, it works better than I've ever had any radiator work, so. Um, after that, uh, you got to start, you got to feed everything. So the next consideration is your fuel system. And this is one of the big changeovers from going to LS. And it's one of the more expensive parts of it is the fuel conversion. Cause you have to go from low pressure to high pressure and usually an electronic fuel pump. I've ne- um, yeah, I've never seen a mechanical fuel pump set up for an LS. So I don't even know what I'm talking about. Actually, no, it's not true. Cletus McFarlane runs one on one of his on, um, What's it called? Uh, uh, Leroy. Uh, it's it's a crazy eight second manual drag car he's got that's built out of a, ca- uh, a Corvette. But he's got a mechanical water pump driven off the crank, um, hanging off the side of the engine. So they do make them. It turns out I shouldn't say they don't. But I I have no idea what that costs, and I guarantee you it's four it's four figures, whatever it is. So. Um, a lot of people will go to Tanks Incorporated or Holly and get the drop-in full LS conversion pump for tank that fits in, and 
they seem to work great. Uh, they're expensive. Again, this all comes back to money for me. They're, they're, you're talking between 500 and 1000 bucks to get one of those tanks done. Mm-hmm. I found the cheap way to do it is do an external pump. The absolute cheapest way is to order yourself a Porsche 044 Bosch fuel pump and get a regulator and a couple other things and you're out only about a couple hundred bucks you mount it to a frame rail and it siphon draws off the tank and it pressurizes and shoots it up to the engine and you're good to go problem with that system is they don't cool much because they're not immersed in in fuel and they're loud they're real loud (laughs) sounded like santa going by when you start (laughs) the car up with your fuel pump it is just howling behind you all the time i ran one for about six months um maybe yeah about six months or so and right at that point holly came out with for me it's the holly 12-302 and it's an in-tank efi pump that replaces the sender unit in your tank but it, on the end it has a wall barrel pump and you still keep your uh your your uh, fuel gauge level all built into it um, and that was, uh, it was 200 bucks at the time. I think you can get them for about 200 bucks still. So it was a great solution because it quieted it down and it's self cooling because it's, it's in the tank. Um, it comes with, it even comes with some hydromat on the end, which is a great little thing. Hmm. Santa's back. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, so your fuel system, uh, whatever it takes to get your six your six psi siphon fed mechanical old mechanical fuel system. Uh, I tend to run new uh, new uh, AN lines, uh, you know the braided stuff with AN six fittings, or you can go as high as AN eight or ten if you're really putting out. But AN six works for just about anything up to five hundred horsepower. So get yourself a cheapy AN, uh, you know. 25 foot of line and um, your in-tank pump and you just, you know, strap it to the frame rail on the inside, follow your brake lines up and uh, and plumb it in wherever is convenient, you know, whatever clears the headers and all the rest of it. So, yeah, so again, that's, uh, you know, chassis, engine, mounts, headers, intake, accessories, um, radiator, fuel, and now we're getting into the electronics, and this is the part that, like everything else I just said there, it's just nuts and bolts. It's just knowing which parts fit where, and there's a lot of, Jegs has some really good uh, um, interchange manuals online. Uh, Holly has some really great pictures on their website, or you can even find them on Pinterest for just comparing which accessory drive has which clearances and dirty dingo does too and ict billet you call ict billet guys and they'll talk all day they're they're worse than me but (laughs) (laughs) they'll um they'll find you what you need but when you get into the electronics that's when ls really like it becomes an animal at that point that you really have to fight and if people are really because a stock harness when you pull it out of the truck you, you almost never get an entire stock harness out of a vehicle you almost always have to chop it so there's people out there that will go and pull harnesses out of vehicles just to resell because they're going to put the time in and you're going to pay an extra couple of bucks for them having spent the time to dig a harness out of a vehicle intact but even then the harness will come to you and it's got 500 lines in it and you really only need about 100 and now 100 sounds like a lot but you know, compared to having 500, you know, instead of a two inch thick, you know, harness running across your engine, you're only using a half inch thick harness by the time we're done. I built my current harness. I would never build another harness. It is just not worth it. It's, I did it for fun, quote unquote. My wife went off to Israel for two weeks and left me alone. And, uh, I took over the dining room and kitchen and laid out a, uh, the circuit on the floor and laid out the wires, zip tied everything in and crimped and crimped and crimped and wrapped and wrapped. I have about 60 hours of my harness and that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just, it makes no sense to have done what I did. Um, there's, there's prices of really, it used to be they were really expensive to get a swap harness or you would send a harness out to someone to cut it down for you and they would cut it down for about 300 bucks. Um, and, and the harnesses used to be like two grand. They've really come down in price. There's very rarely, you know, 
just a harness will very rarely be more than a thousand bucks. You can get cheap harnesses off Amazon, no warranty, no quality control, but you know, whoever's making painless harnesses in China are also making their own and selling them on Amazon for 300 bucks. Hmm. And I've talked to people that you've run them and they've never had a problem. I'm like, okay. My go-to is PSI conversions out of brick, New Jersey. Um, I've, I've inadvertently sold several harnesses for them now. They 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 like me. <laughs> they know my name now. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they make a really nice product. They have really good support. They have really good documentation when it comes, and they build their harnesses to be installed. So when they make a harness, they are literally they have test mules that they build the harness on and test installing it. You know, so it's not completely. You know, it's not insane. At that point, it's more or less plug and play. Um, but if you really want to get into the wiring, if you're not scared of wiring, you can build your own harness. You can get it exactly as you want it and make it disappear with a nice with a nice harness tuck because you don't have any excess and everything is perfectly shaped and sized and everything else. But um, typically, if money if money is time and time is money, then you want to buy a harness. There's you know, Speartech makes a really good one, but they seem to be the top of the market for price. Um, and this is assuming you're using a, fast, a stock ECU. I, I probably should have said earlier, there's multiple families. You can you can run a carb on an LS. We mentioned this before. If you don't want to deal with the harness at all, you can. I've never done it. I know a lot of, I know probably a dozen people out in Long Island have all done it. Um, they swear by it. They think it's great. That's cool. Um, I'm a stock ECU guy. Tune it yourself. Um, again, cost really low. Uh, Edelbrock, um, Edelbrock and Holly and Fitech. Uh, let me think. Someone else. Holtech. Uh, they all make ECUs, their own ECUs and their own harnesses. I've never done any of those, but honestly, for the price of the the Holly Terminator X. The next one I do, I might go that way. It's you know it's comparable in price, and you don't have to you don't have to invest in a tuner, or you don't have to invest in HP tuners if you haven't invested. I, I'm so deeply invested in HP tuners; it's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, I shouldn't. That's my problem. I'm invested in it now, so if I change, I'm kind of leaving money on the table, <laughs> walking away from something I've invested in. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, so you get your harness plugged in, you got to get up under your dash, you got to mount ECUs somewhere where you like. I know some people don't want to mess up their interior, especially if they have a nice car. Like if they have a, you know, 65 SS Impala that is pristine on the inside, the thought of cutting through their firewall and mounting an ECU up under their dash and messing stuff up really made this one guy cry. So he wound up mounting it to the inside under the hood on, on the wheel well. Um, nobody says to do that. Everyone says don't mount it anywhere near it can get hot or get wet. The thing is, GM puts them under the hood. <laughs> GM puts them in wheel wells. Exactly. And, you know, so I, I put it in the glove box like a good boy, like I'm told to do by all these places that say don't put it in there. So I don't. But I really can't fault anyone who does because, you know, it makes sense. You still got to run wires inside to the ignition because um, you need constant 12 to the uh, ECU when it's cranking just so it doesn't turn off and forget to fire the coils. So there's some of that under dash wiring. Um, at that point, with a, with a, you know, you could do a mail away tune um, or if you're using a Holly or, or Edelbrock. EFI, they have basic, they have base tunes on there for you right from the get go. It won't run amazing, but it'll start, it'll run, and it self learns to a certain extent. Um, with a stock GM ECU, you're going to need to get it uh, unlocked, and you're going to need a base tune put on it for you by a tuner, or teach yourself how to do it. It, like I taught myself how to do it. It's not impossible. Um, you know, there, there's a learning curve, and if you don't like learning curves, I suggest you pay someone else to do it. But if you enjoy a learning curve, it's actually kind of rewarding building a car and then making it faster by just knowing how to program it. So, um, at that point, you're sort of done. You can you probably get your first fire. You can start driving it. The one problem that 
we all run into and we all forget in these swaps until we're right done and we're ready we look at the gauges and go oh i have no gauges because <laughs> right. all the transmissions they don't have speedo cables anymore um getting the um getting the tax signal out of the computer is tricky so quite a, like what i usually do for the first initial stage after it's done i put a bluetooth sender on the obd2 port and hang an amazon tablet running some cheapy software to give you led gauges so you can at least see what your temperatures are and your tack and your speed and stuff um but at this point every every swap we've done we've put a dakota digital dash in the in the unit um it's expensive like it's one of those it's one of those big ticket items you just can't get around in these builds there's 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 places you can cut corners and save a lot of money and then there's a couple of bottlenecks and you just suck it up and lay down the um (laughs) the money like the oil pan the 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 ls swap oil pans you can't get around it you you gotta spend three to five hundred bucks it's just is what it is <laughs> right but the the dakota dash transformed the driving experience in this car it went from this sketchy you know ls swap that just felt like it was just thrown together and about to fly apart to having the dash just there working and reliable it really started to feel like a real car not just a, a hoopty <laughs> just this beater that i'm trying not to die in um so it's it's the same conversation every time like there's a sticker shock of 800 to a thousand dollars for the dakota digital dakota digital dash that people see and they immediately clench up and go oh no 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 i'll I'll find something else and they kind of look around and they realize that auto meter is just as expensive and you got to create your own dash and cut holes in it and you know all this other stuff or there's other digital ones that are just number readouts and they're kind of or you're running a cheap ass tablet that's jittering around, reflecting the sun in your eyes, and you know it's down and low, you can't see it, and it's just like, yeah. After usually after a couple of weeks of driving it, they almost always come back and go, um, so how much can you get those dashes for? Mm-hmm. Um, so the dash never seems to go in when the LS swap is happening. It almost always seems to go in a month or two after the swap is done, and. Right. Uh, after they get it, no one's ever complained. They always seem to think the money was well spent. So, um, that's sort of the long and the short of it. There's little things like the shifter and your oil pan and um, stuff like that that you know you got to figure out as you go. But you have to do that with just about any other engine and any other swap when you change a transmission or anything else. Um, if you can find a manual transmission, if you can find a T56 or a TKO or, you know, Max or whatever, if you're going to go big money again aftermarket one, they're all great. Um, it's just if you're putting them in an old chassis, you're going to need a hydraulic clutch. So you got to factor that into your cost too. Um, even if you, people want to throw a, I, people will throw a, a T5 behind a, uh, a 5.3. Um, because it's cheap and a 5.3 will doesn't put out enough horsepower to really break doesn't put out more horsepower than a stock 5.0 it did back in the day that had T5s behind them and they'll work again you gotta figure out the hydraulic stuff some people are, oh, I have a Muncie I just want to use my 4 speed Muncie behind the LS I'm like absolutely that works great but you don't have a Z bar so you're gonna have to do <laughs> you either gotta weld something up or you're gonna need a hydraulic clutch and so your price is gonna jump so if you think you're gonna save money that way you don't. Um, a lot of people who want to go carb with LS think they're going to save money because they're not buying a harness, they're not paying a tuner, they're not messing around with the unknown. They think they can just work with a screwdriver and their ear and a timing light and be able to get away with it. That's great until you realize that you know a uh, you know an LS carb intake is five hundred bucks, and the uh, and and the spark box from MSI to run the coil packs because you can't get rid of the coil packs that's 600 to a thousand bucks and when you're done adding all those numbers up together you're like oh it's almost as much as a efi (laughs) efi right but at the end of the day it comes down to personal preference and i'm not taking away from anyone who wants to run a carb on on there i i think they're cool i don't do it myself but um you know some people get really militant about it though it's like it's got to be carved and the carb guys it's been proven on dinos and stuff. The carbs will produce more horsepower at the absolute top end. 
you'll get an extra 510 or so horsepower out of a car because mechanically the EFI just can't keep up at like 7,000 RPM. But, you know, they give away the drivability down low in, uh, you know, weather. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cold snaps and, you know, all the rest of that stuff. But again, that's a, that's a debate that will never end. You know, same thing as, you know, it's, it's almost the same debate as you're going to get from guys who don't like LSs over old school engines. You get almost the same debate from guys who want carbs on their LSs or who want AFI on there. There's always a fight to be had, I guess. <laughs> I, think, I think people just like the fight. They don't even know what they're fighting about. They just like the fight. So. Right, right. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's you know, that's a lot of, of good information there's a lot of and there is there's a lot of pluses and and uh minuses like you said yeah when you go into the initial build you know that you're gonna have to have this dash so that should just be one of the things on your list just go ahead and chunk out that 800 bucks for the Dakota yeah, digital just, just get it on order because the, they build them to order so when you're done your build and you try to just like pick it up off the shelf or get it overnighted from uh uh, summit uh it's like what do you mean there's a two-week wait ah crap right but um it's just one of those things uh you just kind of have to you know people don't think about it people think about the horsepower and the burnout and the cam and the sound of it and all this other stuff and it's like but what about your dash well what about it it's just it's like no you kind of want to do your dash you're gonna really you know yeah. uh I guess it's about keeping an eye on your, your end goal as well. It's something, it's been my mantra since day one. I, I've lost the mantra a few times. I'm kind of back to it again. Um, <laughs> about knowing what you want out of your build. If you just want to mess with the car, you can just mess with the car. But then you're just realizing you're not really going anywhere. You're just, you got a car to mess with. Um, this car, like Foxy, I built to do long distance road trips. I wanted to do the power tour. I wanted to do the Lincoln Highway from New York to San Francisco. Um, I wanted to do Route 66. I wanted to do the 48-state tour. I wanted to do the Pan America tour, which I don't know if I'll ever get to that one, but that's like six months to drive the Pan America tour. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and I realized, you know, some of the things I had to do was build a fuel-efficient, reliable engine because the 455 I had in there, Parts were getting scarce, and it got six miles to the gallon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, a, at a 900 CFM carb on it. And, you know, it's just, yeah, and it always ran hot. Last um, last spring, I was on my way down to uh, Ocean City in Maryland for cruising Ocean City with a, with a group. And we stopped in the middle of nowhere, Delaware, for gas. And my starter, I changed when I did the cam swap earlier. Um or no, I changed it when I did a converter swap. Anyways, I had someone, I, I, I let someone in my ear. I always use stock parts, stock LS starters, stock alternators. I try to avoid the aftermarket fancy race stuff because uh, going fast isn't as important to me as going far. Right. Um, and, but no, someone said you got to use these Powermaster high torque clockable mini starters. Okay. Ah, what the heck? I looked one up. I got. A little drunk one night and ordered a two hundred fifty dollars starter. Put it in. It never sounded quite right. I didn't like the high torque sound compared to the classic LS. Just boom, start. Okay, and in the, in the put gas in the car, went to start it up, and I just heard it start, and then I heard something bounce off the flex plate, <laughs> and then bits of metal. And I went and looked, and the, uh, the 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 starting servo blew apart. Fired the pinion into the plate, chipped teeth off the plate. It was a whole mess. And, you know, we're standing around with a bunch of older guys with older cars, and they kind of have an older mindset that they're stuck in the modern age. And like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to trailer it back? What are you going to do? Are you going to take a bus back and get your truck and come get it? I'm like, no, I'm going to borrow someone's car. I'm going to someone drive me to the, uh, the, uh, the auto zone half a mile up the road. <laughs> I'm going to get a starter. Oh, they won't have a starter for this. I'm like, they will. I walked in and I asked for a 2001 Tahoe or Suburban starter. Yeah, had it right then and there. I was back and we were on the road in 45 minutes. Then they were all blown away. And I'm like, no, but this is exactly why I built the car the way I did. I didn't use crazy parts. I used good parts and I tried to, and I added speed where I could. But if my map sensor goes bad, my math sensor goes bad. Um, 
you know, any of my sensors that go bad. They were like, oh, there's so many sensors on these cars. Any one of them can go bad. Like, yeah, but these these car these engines run for 350,000 miles. And right. as long as you have an auto parts store that has Chevy stuff in it close by, I can get a part same day. Like, and be on the road again. So um, that was sort of the mentality, plus the fuel efficiency. Um, when I stay out of it, I clock 28 MPG on this car, which by modern standards isn't that much when cars are pushing 50 now but um compared to cars that average 14 or 15 and you know if i'm already i'm spending a thousand dollars on a long road trip on this car on a five-day road trip with the club or whatever guys that are running big block fords with blowers and everything else they're they're running three thousand dollars in gas (laughs) (laughs) I had one club beg me once just to put five bucks of gas in my car so they'd feel so they'd feel better because we stopped three times and I just I would get a slushy or a coffee or something. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. I'm like, you still don't need gas? I'm like, nope, <laughs> just fine. So yeah, that's that's my takeoff on it. Um, yeah, there's guys out there that are purists and diehards. I just had a, a long. It wasn't a two-sided, it was a one-sided fight. He was fighting me, and I was just kind of just asking questions. It was kind of one of those odd fights that was very one-sided. But this guy was on a mission to save the world for modern cars and to preserve old cars and the history and the lore of hot-rodding, and guys like me are destroying it. And I'm like, I don't know. I think think Elon Musk is doing far more damage than I (laughs) You know, but okay, one guy that's done, you know, less than half a dozen swaps is destroying the hobby, all right. Um, But, yeah, you know. And the only thing is, at the end of the day, it's still an old car. I haven't done anything to the car that can't be undone. You know, the harness can come out, the engine can come out, the fuel tank can come out, and all stock parts can go back in if you really want to turn this car back into a 326 Pontiac with a (laughs) two-speed. Right. You know, 200 horsepower, two-speed car. If you really want to do that, okay. Put the money down. You can take the car and do that if you want to do that. But, um, you know, there's nothing that is, like, people who say the car is ruined, it's like, well, that means you just don't know how to work on cars. You're right, you're right. It's like, all this bolted together. It isn't like I welded the engine to the frame or something, so. So this guy that that was creating a disturbance, what, yeah. what kind of car was he? What did he have? He's got himself. I have to admit, I snooped a little more than I probably should have, but it's been going on for so long. I had questions. He wasn't answering any of my questions. He was just, he was just, you know, trying to dunk on me, trying to just, you know, diatribe and speechify constantly. He's got himself a sixty-five or sixty-seven uh, Cougar, two eighty-nine car, four-speed, maybe a three-speed, but stick. Um. It's a beater, you know, it's all in primer, it's a fixer-upper, it's really not that much different than my car, except that in his world, it's his car's pure, because it's still got a, a blown 289, and by blown, I mean there's a hole in the side of it, yeah. <laughs> not, uh, you've got a blower on it, but um, yeah, he, I started messing around making reels on Instagram. Um, I've seen other, like they're getting in my feed more and there's some funny ones, you know, little sayings or songs that go over top of some images. And I thought that looks like fun. So I created a few. One of them went wild. It's at 150,000 views right now. (laughs) And it's really opened up me and the car to a whole new market of people. Um, a lot of people that just aren't normally in my feeds. Like normally I have a very curated feed, people that I want to see and see their stuff and some just little fringes around there and slowly expanding. Doing these reels are suddenly drawn in. You know, my, my, my followers jumped up probably a couple hundred since this one went out and yeah. Yeah. And okay. So it's kind of weird. Like I'm getting weird and the paint, the paint on the car did a weird thing with the light as I was shooting it. Um, it got this weird holographic reflection on it from, I think a sign across the street, but it's this, it's this magic moment that I'd never be able to recreate, but it's really, it's people like, Oh my God, what kind of paint is that? Is that charismatic? Blah, blah, blah. Is this a color shift? Is this whatever? And I'm like, 
No, it's multiple layers of trem clad and Krylon. <laughs> some bare metal, some rust. But, um, you know, a lot of like that. And then I, I picked up this one guy. And he just started with the comment was, who the hell would LS swap this GTO? Okay. And I'm like, well, that's me. <laughs> you know, I'm just being silly. I'm just keeping it light. I'm like, yeah, I did. That's me. And, you know, he immediately, he immediately calls me an idiot. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I said, yeah, well, you know, specifically what I was looking for was reliability, fuel efficiency, and power. Um, and, you know, and it just, it kind of, it descends from there. And he eventually moves over because he doesn't want to do it in public. Because when guys like this, they want to do it in private. They really want to rag on you where no one else can see because they don't want the addition. They don't want... They don't want anyone else ganging up on them kind of thing. And he, right. he slid into my DMs. And I woke up one morning, and there was like 10 messages in there from him, and he just kept amping up. He's on the West Coast, so there's a time gap. So when he's – I'm sound asleep when he's popping off. And then I get up in the morning. I'm taking a 6 a.m. bus in while he's in bed, so I'm responding. Um, and, it, and it goes like this for a week, just on and on. And it's really – like he got – he got under my skin a little bit. I kept saying he didn't, but, you know, he did a little, but it was mostly out of just sheer confusion. I couldn't understand. I literally asked him, who hurt you this badly? That you're this aggressive with a complete stranger doing whatever, something that he wants with his money on the other side of the country. Like was, And he, that's when he told me he was on a mission. He, he, he loves calling me a poser. This is one of, he says, I'm salty and I'm a poser. Back up, round and round. This is his, like, mantra now thinks he's calling me names by saying that. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> if I cared what you said, that would make me a poser, but I really don't. I'm just confused as to where your animus is coming from. Why are you this upset? And the more I asked, the more he, like, the more he got ramped up. And at one point, it's like, and I was just asking him, like, who hurt you? Like, show me on the doll where the LS swapped Mustang gapped you. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Why are you this upset? And when I asked questions like that, he would like it would just be rapid fire, all caps messages back. Um, and then um, so I got, you know, I just started picking them apart and said, OK, well, I, you're not answering my questions, So I'm going to take some guesses. And I'm going to judge on your answers how close I am to the truth. Given your spelling and your grammatical diction, et cetera, I'm going to assume you are either a high school dropout or didn't have an opportunity at higher education. You know, either either abroad or here. I can tell by, you know, I did look at your pictures. You got California plates. You can see in the pictures the guy's young. He's probably 25. And at this point, he starts calling me son in kiddo. Are you still at it, kiddo? And he keeps going. And it's like, I'm showing my wife this. I'm showing my buddies this and everything else. And they're all laughing. He's like, they're calling you kiddo. I'm like, I know. How old is he? I'm like, well, you know, I pulled, I, I, um, I had his plates run to the, the California highway patrol and it came back with him, you know, and his stuff. So he's 25 years old. Um, I have his name. I'm not, I'm not going to get into his name or anything else or any of that other stuff. Cause it's no one else's business. I just wanted to get a handle on who this guy is and why he's so twisted. And, you know, and he starts, and I, I scratch the surface like that. And it's like, I, I'm guessing by the way you're talking and the words you're using, you're probably around 25. So, you know, I don't know how old you think I am, but you obviously think I'm younger than you. Um, so you're either 70 years old, <laughs> yes, I'm 46, <laughs> or you're like, you're the one who's putting on the front. I suspect, like, the way you're acting, the way you're lashing out, it feels like grief. It feels like you're you're like lashing out out of like pain of loss. I'm assuming you lost a father, a grandfather, a great uncle, an uncle, someone who taught you cars, and they're gone. And now you're trying to act the way you think they acted, or remember how they acted, or say the things they said because it makes you feel close to them again. And I kind of put that out there. And that really set him off. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was really close to the truth. What happened? What did he say after you went through that whole montage? What did he say? Uh, well, he sort of mocked me. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you got me figured out, I guess. But at that point, he started begging about being a machinist, how he's been a machinist for six years, and that if a kid like me keeps trying, someday I could be half as good as he is. I'm like, oh, 
half as good as you are. Okay, great, you're a machinist, congratulations. That's a great career to get into at a young age. Because if you've been at it for six years and you're 25, hey, guess what? You started when you were 19. <laughs> you could right. be working at a family business. I don't, and I kind of threw that right back at him. You know. And yeah, but he kept, at that point, he just, you know, he gets, he, he realized he'd outed himself a little bit as, you know, I said, well, it's great that you've been doing it for six years, but what, what part of it do you do? And he wouldn't get into that. I'm like, do you sweep floors at the machine shop or are you rebuilding? Like you're working a lathe, you're working a CNC machine. Like machine shops means a lot of stuff. Right. He's never asked a single question of me. He doesn't know anything about me other than I have a car and there's an LS in it. He doesn't know how old I am, doesn't know what I do for a living, what my background is, where I live. He may have figured out I'm in Jersey just from seeing the plates or something, but you know, it's so but he he doesn't care about that. You know, he's just but he just keeps coming back and like I start I wake up in the morning and my DM light's showing up. I go in and he's like, Hey poser, just seeing if you're still salty and I'm like well, you're the one that keeps coming back, so I'm going to keep picking. I'll see what else I can find, and I go back at it again. And, and I said, all right, well, here's the thing. And, and one day he went off about putting a, a, a modern engine in a classic like that. And I'm like, but how do you know it's a modern engine? Like, the LS is as old as you are. It came out in 97. Like, you don't even know what gen. This is not. This is obviously not a Gen 5. <laughs> You know, this one's a 2009, but whatever. It's besides the point. It's like, but it's not really that modern an engine. It's newer than what came in the car. And I asked him, what's, what's the age gap? Like, what if I had put a Ford 302 from, I don't know, a 5.0 or, you know, even from a, a 69 Mach 1 in a 38 Ford that came with a flathead? Would that breach your code of what's modern and old? And he's like, well, if I have to explain to you, you'll never understand what old school means and it's the culture. You're not cultured. And I'm like, oh, I'm not cultured. Okay. Uh, never been accused of being cultured. So <laughs> all right, hey, I'm not cultured. I'll, all right. I'll wear that one. And it was going back and forth. And he's like, you'll never. Un and then it got even weirder. And this, I, I really engaged at this point. He told me I would never understand what I did to this car by taking the Jensen engine out of it. Yeah. Spelled it Jensen, J-E-N. And I'm like, what the? Okay, I'm willing to admit I don't know everything. And I love learning new stuff. And I thought, maybe I just learned something here after all from this kid popping off. And I went, whoa, whoa, wait. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm looking, I'm quickly Googling Jensen Pontiac engines. And apparently there's a Dale Jensen that builds engines around Detroit, but... I can't find any design information about anyone in Pontiac named Jensen who designed the original. Because honestly, the Pontiac engine dates from 1955, uh, 1955. It really didn't change all that much up until 1980. Like, so I was digging around and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, hmm, all right. So and I said, well, you know, GM, even in the 60s, were putting Chevy engines in Pontiacs. For Canadian Pontiacs, they were getting Chevy GMs. I started explaining the um, the auto trade pact of 1966, 65, I think it was, to him. And he immediately said, I know all about the trade embargo. And I'm like, what? Not the trade embargo. Not Cuba, <laughs> man. I'm talking about Canada. Not Cuba. Canada and the U.S. had a trade war in the mid-60s. Canada was upset that their auto industry was getting you know, wiped out by the American industry, and cars were super expensive in Canada and cheap down here, and they were just getting – so they, it's a whole trade thing. And it came about that they kind of had an agreement that if Canada – the U.S. could U.S. could ship X amount of parts in if Canada shipped – Y amount of parts down there. So they started this parts trade and then transmissions and engines were getting shipped back and forth. And then eventually Chevy realized that they were shipping non Canada's basic rule was if you're Canada first, if you're going to sell cars in Canada, you're going to make cars in Canada. It makes sense. We right. do the same thing here now, you know, it's the same argument we're having today about Mexico, you know, or, or Korea or anywhere else, you know, Toyota. Um, it's the same basic argument, but Chevy realized they can't produce enough in Canada to meet Canadian need with the two Canadian plants they had. So they started shipping surplus cars up from Detroit and Kansas City and other places like that that weren't finished. So they were shipping Chevelles, Novas, um, 
impalas, but they weren't done. They were the body suspension, stuff like that. They didn't have front clips and they didn't have interiors, but, um, and, but they came with drivetrains in them. So they were unfinished cars, so they weren't sellable. So they managed to get around the law that way. They came to the Pontiac plants in Canada because Canada had two Pontiac plants and they went there and they got finished out as Pontiacs. They came out as Pontiac Beaumont, which were Malibus and Pontiac Acadians, which were Novas and Pontiac Parisians, which were the Impalas. Okay. So now you got Chevy Pontiacs. <laughs> Things are getting wacky. Things are getting weird, but that's the great thing about it. You can still go out and get these parts. I can go out and get a 327 Pontiac small block. It's a small block Chevy, but it's a Pontiac engine. It's got a Pontiac VIN on it. It comes with Pontiac valve covers and the whole thing and drop it in. Like, and I'm, I'm explaining this to him and he comes back on me that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Pontiac was not part of GM back then. And I'm like, what? Wait, huh? And I'm like, well, in theory, it joined Pontiac, Pontiac joined GM as Oakland and then transitioned to Pontiac. And I'm like, and I'm asking, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, whoa, 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 step back here. And he's like, look it up yourself. And like, and he's like, but the historians are all wrong. I'm like, wait, all the historians are wrong? All the historians, but you were wrong. Mm. I'm like, wait, so Pontiac didn't join GM in 1925. And he, again, at this point, I think he realized he was totally out to lunch and he was just trying to evacuate himself. And after this conversation, the air went dead until yesterday. He popped up again, finally. Um, but, yeah, it was just but this 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 level of vitriol and hate. And I think part of it was because I actually engaged with him. I think this kid gets ignored a lot because he just used to shooting his mouth off and people mm. probably just ignoring him or calling him an asshole and moving on. Um, and there's dumbass me not getting upset, just asking him questions. And the more questions I asked, the more upset he would get. <laughs> and the cycle would just repeat. Um, and my wife was calling me cruel at one point because she's reading these messages and she's like, you're picking him apart. Like you stop it. He's getting too angry. And, um, <laughs> so, so when bad. he, when he went dark for a few, for a while, what happened? You guys thought he, what you thought he gave I up? I got or? really busy with work and I mm. missed a day or two and I was going to come back at that point, but I realized I didn't want to be the guy to pick the fight. So, like I was responding to him constantly. It was always him post him commenting, me responding back and forth. And that's all it was. I never, if he came back, I'd start. No, I wouldn't stop. Every time I'd respond, he always had to be the last one to say something. So if I kept asking another question, he would just keep going. We went late into the night a couple of times because I was just going, I want to see, I want to see where this kid breaks. <laughs> I want to see where he quits. And I give him credit. He never quit. <laughs> he just kept going. How long have how long have you been on there doing it? Uh, I got uh, it's on the phone. I'm talking on now, but I was taking screenshots to share with people. Just you know, I was like, "Oh my god, look at this one! Look what he said this time!" And then they're like, "Oh my god, you're stop playing with him!" But uh, it, I, I must have forty screenshots of the conversations of like solid iPhone screenshots of just text on top of text. And his rants and my questions. <laughs> um, it probably went full. It probably went straight for five days, mm. and then so that was most of last week. And then he fell quiet because I think he, he fired something off at me, and I got and I, and I missed a couple of days, and kind of surfaced from the from work chaos. And then went, oh, I don't want to respond now because now it seems like I'm like eh. <laughs> I don't want to be the one more. I don't want to be the one more thing guy, right? But I let it go. I said, you know what? I've kind of lost the feeling for it anyways. You know, the mood's kind of gone. Like, you know, eh, moving on. And then he popped up yesterday because um, someone else on that reel that has like 100 comments now, 9,000 likes, 150,000 views. Like, it's just, it, I'm kind of sick of it. I'm, I'm thinking about deleting it just to get rid of it. I'm like, oh, God. I go to check my feed and it's nothing but this like the same thing over and over and over. I'm like, Oh God, go away. Right. <laughs> I don't want to answer what paint it is anymore. But, um, someone else responded to him basically saying, and this actually links to another story and basically says, um, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't do it myself, but I appreciate his passion and his skill and how much work it went. And, uh, Diego comes back going, ah, oh, 
there's no skill involved. If you know how to pull a harness and, you know, work a welder, that's all that's involved. And I was kind of like, well, A, I made my own harness, and B, I didn't weld at all. So <laughs> more skill than you know and actually less than it's actually needed. So. Right. But him and this other guy started going. And, of course, I got my two cents in at one point. I was like, hey, he's back. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe he'll wake up tomorrow morning and see and, and start bombarding me again. But, uh, yeah, just uh, this guy is a di- like this guy is on a mission to remove to make every car stock cars again or hot rods or something about defending the culture. I still couldn't quite get him to. I was really pushing him to really put together a manifesto, like to really right. <laughs> To really get the extremist, because he he's got the extremist passion. I was just trying to get him to get it down into something like tangible. Right, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Instead of just ranting and raving about yeah, bullshit, just the madness. It's like, wait, I love the passion. Can we make it make? Can we make it mean something? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the one guy that responded to him and kind of. And I said, hey, man, thanks for the support. I appreciate it. You know, guys like this, referring to Diego, is going to destroy the hobby quicker than EV vehicles or government regulations because we're tearing ourselves down. You know, we're, we're setting purity standards that are so far beyond what anyone can reach. Like, we're going to do more damage to ourselves than, than, the, than the feds will ever be able to do to us. You know, it's just... <laughs> And it was really interesting because this guy came back, this the new guy, um, turns out he's Greek. He's in Greece. Um, and he just wants to talk. And uh, and he comes back, and I, I was trying to figure, he said, he said, you know, I don't have, a, I have a passion for all cars. I love Mopars, but right now I'm really into my tractor. I was like, oh, that's cool. I like tractors. I haven't ridden one in 30 years, but. I like tractors. That's cool. I'm like, what kind is it? I'm thinking Massey, K, something like that. He's like, it's a, uh, it's a Belarus. Like, Belarus? I'm like, the country? He's like, yeah, it's an old Soviet-era tractor. I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm like, where are you? Like, you in the U.S.? He's like, oh, I'm in Greece. I'm like, oh, you're Greek. He's like, yeah, can we talk? I, I, I talk better than I write. I'm like, sure. So he called me up on uh, Instagram, and we just did a thing and we just got talking and he showed me pictures and video of this tractor that his granddad bought had imported from Belarus. It's an old Soviet era tractor, water cooled. Apparently that was a big thing for Soviet tractors. Um, (laughs) And how much, and how he's been putting it back together. And at one point his dad and his granddad shoved it in the back of the barn and it sat there, but it's such a simple design when he pulled it out. Um, because Greece got hit hard with COVID and they had a very, very strict lockdown. Like you couldn't go between Greece is largely a bunch of country towns on islands Mm -hmm. and you can't move. And they weren't allowed to move between the towns. Like the next town up the road is where his girlfriend lived. And, uh, he wasn't allowed to bike up the road. He weren't allowed to drive there because they would arrest you. (laughs) would Take you away for leave breaking quarantine of your town. So what he did, he got the old tractor running and he would hop on the tractor and go tootling to the next town. And when the cops stopped him, he just pointed and said, oh, I'm going to go work the field. Oh, okay. So, you know, they tootled off and he would then rumble on over to the next town and go see his girlfriend for the night. <laughs> mm. And then in the morning, hop on his tractor and rumble back home to, <laughs> to his other town on the island. I don't, he never said which island or town or anything right. else. But I just love the story of this passion of this young guy. He's, he's again, 25 or something. And he figured out how to rebuild and put back together this old Soviet tractor as a means to get around, you know, for love. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a great story. And it's so funny because I wouldn't have gotten that story and that relationship and that great experience today of just talking to this young guy in Greece right now about his tractor he was showing me live videos of him starting it up and starting to move it i'm like that's great if i hadn't posted this stupid video of me getting gas in a car that the light caught it in a funny way that really triggered diego in california to go on a week-long tirade about how much he hates the car and hates me loves actually loves the car hates what i've done with it um and also thinks pontiac was not part of gm mm. 
still don't know who he's like I, I, that part's still really confusing to me but and now i've met this other guy which i've already forgotten his name it's a very long greek name and i apologize to any greeks that are listening to this but i didn't catch it on the first pass <laughs> so yeah instagram is such an interesting place <laughs> right yeah it's all good though but yeah man i i appreciate the, just the community of um you guys out there and uh like all the cool stuff you guys are doing and then you guys appreciate the stuff that i do and it's just it's just cool like there's never been i've never had an issue like what you had with your diego guy it was good having you on here and it was this is going to be a great podcast i appreciate well, you. i appreciate it man like you know i can talk right. <laughs> it's the one skill i have yeah know? no man. True skill i can do naturally it's just ramble so hell yeah man we'll have to we'll yeah we'll we'll get together and we'll do we'll set up a time like when you're free again and do another one because that's you know i don't care about having the same person on four or five eight times you're not going to say the exact same thing every time you're on the fucking thing so yeah you know it's it's fine and then you end up being a regular and then you get promoted to to co-host <laughs> Make the big times. Make yeah. the big leagues. Yeah. Fuck it. I can just pass it off to somebody else to do it, and <laughs> I'll just post the shit. Leave again. <laughs> <laughs> I got staff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> people. Right. People take care of that. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, bro. But yeah, no, I do. I appreciate it, man. And anytime you will, welcome to come on and, and do it and talk some forward. stories. I look forward to this, man. This, these have always been fun. So, yeah. um, you know. All right, bro. Thanks again. All right, you have a good night. Hey, you too, man. Thanks. Well, that's going to do it for this one, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And once again, if you're interested in doing a podcast, reach out to me. Let me know, man. I'd like to get you on here, listen to your stories, and we can talk a little shit and have some fun, man. That's what it's all about for me. And also, if you have some time, go check out my YouTube series, So You Want to Build an AD. It's where I'm going through the complete start to finish on a 1952 Chevrolet truck. And we're getting pretty far. That's going to be the Patina Code Shop Truck. Also, check out my homies LS Fabrication and Joe's Racing Products. I'm Dennis for Patina Code. Stay with me. Thanks for listening. Stay with me.